0: Good morning everybody well as you've heard we're going to be looking at the the book of James today and there is a lot in this book and I've decided that we'd have an overview today so you're going to have to wait another month I only speak once a month I don't know if you've realized this yet have to wait another month um, to hear comments about um, the text we have got some text today (laughs) <laughs> well I'll try and make it three weeks if I can Anyway, there's an awful lot in this book as we'll find out, I hope When I've spoken today When I started looking at this I got so excited I, I must admit, that the more I looked, the more I found And it's it's a few chapters in it, five short chapters Anyway, let's pray And you might like to get your finger in James We'll be flipping to other scriptures as well But always keep a finger in the book of James Because we'll be referring to that several times and let's pray anyway lord jesus we do uh, thank you for your word again lord this is the way you reveal yourself to us and this is the way we learn about you lord so we do pray that you would inspire us lord to read your word that your holy spirit will be upon us when we study it lord draw us to it that we might grow to be more like you so help us lord jesus we pray and be with us now lord and i do pray that my brothers and sisters here will be excited as I was, as I, as I started looking at this book. So be with us, Lord, we pray, and bless us this morning, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so after the, over the past few months, I've been speaking about um, commitment to Jesus and to each other, how we can enter into um, deeper relationships as the body of Christ. I've spoken about feeding upon Jesus and taking him deeper into ourselves and being in Christ. And we saw that this is invariably connected with our love for God, our faith in God, and our obedience to God. And an important and essential aspect of developing these deeper relationships is to better know and understand what God has revealed to us in his written word, the Bible. The more time we spend immersed in the word of God, the more likely we are to become like Jesus. And this will only happen, however, if with the help of the Holy Spirit, we apply to our own lives what we have read, studied and heard from the Bible. In the epistle of James, he calls his readers to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And that's from James 1 verse 22. And to use the well-worn cliché, if we want to walk the walk, we need to be doers of God's word. Now, to help us to be doers of God's word, it seemed appropriate to take a look at the letter of James because it's filled with practical advice on how to live the Christian life. The idea of practical advice is, of course, not exclusive to James. Remember the words of Jesus in the parable of the two builders. Tom's already mentioned this, really. He must have read my notes. Matthew records in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you can look at this if you like. I'll wait for you to look it up. It's uh, Matthew 5, verses 24 and 25 we're going to read. The two builders, the wise builder and the foolish builder. Practical advice. So Jesus says, Therefore, whoever hears these signs of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Now, if we look at Paul's letters to the churches and individuals, most, if not all, although they contain much theological debate, then have a section of practical instruction in how to live out the theological principles that Paul has been expounding now although I said previously that the letter of James was full of practical advice it is not bereft of theology or doctrine and it's there if we look for it and these are interesting things that I didn't realize firstly scholars have noted many parallels in both words and themes between James and the teaching of Jesus in the Gospels and especially in the Sermon on the Mount some Bible commentators see over a dozen comparisons between James and the Sermon on the Mount, and the same again in the remainder of the Gospels. I'm going to look at just two examples. So if you look at James 2.5, we're talking here about the poor inheriting the kingdom of God. James 2 verse 5. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith, And heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him now if we turn to the Sermon on the Mount which we can find in Matthew uh, chapter 5 verse 3 one of the Beatitudes Jesus says blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven let's look at um, the swearing of oaths chapter 5 of James if you got your fingers in the book still verse 12 James 5 verse 12 but above all my brethren do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath but let your yes be yes and your no no lest you fall into judgment now if we flip back to the Sermon on the Mount I hope you kept your finger there I should have said (laughs) Um, Matthew 5 this time 33 to 37 Matthew 5:33 to 37 again you have heard that it was said to those of old you shall not swear falsely but shall perform your oaths to the Lord but I say to you do not swear at all neither by heaven for it is God's throne nor by earth for it is his footstool nor by Jerusalem for it is the city of the great King nor shall you swear by your head because you cannot make one hair white or black but let your yes be yes and your no no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one." Now if we don't learn anything more from this today um, think about the meaning of oaths if you have to take an oath it means that you usually tell a lie at some stage. If you have to take an oath, you're not always telling the truth. That's the meaning of this um, little parable, if you like. Um, now, apart from similarities um, with Jesus' teaching, we can spot some um, clues to doctrine within James's letter. And we'll be looking at a few verses in James now. So we can see, for example, parts of the doctrine of God. If you look at James 1.5, James 1 verse 5, this is the theology in James which lots of people have have claimed, there's not much of it there. If any of you lacks wisdom let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. So there we see one of the attributes of God, he is generous, we have a generous God. James 1 13 Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So there we can see the holiness of God. He's a good God. He's got nothing to do with evil. We see him as holy. Um, This is a strange one, really. James 4 verse 15. I think the meanings are there if if you look at it hard enough. James 4.15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, this was talking about doing this or that in a year's time, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Well, that speaks about God's sovereignty. We can't do anything without God being sovereign and watching over us. We can't do anything that pleases him anyway. Um, We can see some doctrine um, pointers to sin, If you look at James 3 verse 2, we can read or implied from this verse is that sin is universal for we all stumble in many things. If you go back to James 1 verses 14 and 15, we see that sin indwells all persons and results in death. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when sin is conceived, it gives birth to sorry, when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it is full grown, brings forth death. Okay, so that's um, the doctrine of God and the doctrine of sin. Glimpses of eschatology or end time theology, we can see in the following verses. We have the day of reward, James 1, verse 12. Tom's already mentioned this as well. you sure he didn't read my notes, Tom? Strange how the Holy Spirit talks to us, perhaps, isn't it? James 1 verse 12, our reward. Blesses the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Uh, Look at um, chapter 3 verse 1 of James. We can see the day of judgment. James 3 verse 1. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. This is why we have to pray heartily when we bring the word. We have to make sure we're bringing it right and I pray that's um, the case here. Um, End times, look at the Lord's return. James 5 verses 7 and 8. James 5, 7 and 8. Therefore be patient brethren until the coming of the Lord see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain you also be patient establish your hearts for the coming of the lord is at hand now these i've just made some quick notes on other um, doctrinal themes Um, you can see christ as lord which is only mentioned twice this was one of the the, um, contradiction or the comments really against the letter that Christ as Lord is only mentioned twice that's in chapter 1 verse 1 and chapter 2 verse 1 we can see um, salvation mentioned in 121 justification in chapter 2 verses 21 to 25 and regeneration i.e. A new spirit being born again if you like in chapter 1 verse 18 those are also mentioned Now um, Tom mentioned this, the epistle of James since it was readily um, made available after James had penned it was surrounded by controversy and in some quarters this is probably still the case today. In view of this I thought it might be worth considering some of these um, controversial issues by way of this overview which I hope will increase our understanding and help us to take on board the actual content of the letter when we get to it. And as I say, that could be four weeks' time. Now, um, the first thing to say about the letter is that it was not um, considered authoritative scripture until um, it received the stamp of approval by the Council of Carthage in AD 397. And the reasons for its comparatively late acceptance compared with other scripture included the mere fact that it had not been widely used because it was so brief there was not much mention of Christ as Lord other reasons um, were that it was brief um, as I mentioned the theological content was sparse even James's identity was questioned um, and some people said that it wasn't written by one of the 12 apostles well not all of scripture was written by the apostles anyway or one of the 12 and they don't feature in everything. Um, Jude is another brother of um, Jesus. We find out about um, the authorship of James now. Um, Let's think about um, the author. James was a popular name in the New Testament times, and there are at least four men in the New Testament called James. Now, if you have, um, I don't have this one here. Um, If you have a new Spirit-filled life Bible, Um, that says that there are five Jameses, so even that is arguable, isn't it? How many Jameses are mentioned in the the New Testament? Well, I'm going to look at four and suggest who the fifth may be. So let's um, look at them, if you like, in um, the lowest order first, building up to who we think is the author. So the first James um, we come across is the father of the apostle Judas, not Iscariot and you can meet with him in Luke 6.16. Don't, you don't need to turn to it now, but um, Matthew and Mark both call this Judas Thaddeus, so that's why we have differences in the list of the apostles. Apart from being the father of Judas or Thaddeus, as you, um, according to your preference, this James was um, entirely unknown apart from that fact and was never even considered the author of the epistle, so that's one of them the second James is the son of Alphaeus one of the twelve apostles from Matthew 10 verse 3 this one is usually identified with James the less the son of Mary um, which is referred to in Mark 15 40 now if he isn't um, the same person that could be our fifth James okay that's quite irrelevant anyway The description of the less probably distinguishes this James from James the son of Zebedee. Now as with James the father of Judas, James the son of Alphaeus was never either considered the author of the epistle. Now we come to the Apostle James, the brother of John and son of Zebedee. This James of course you remember along with his brother John and Peter formed the inner core of the three apostles out of the twelve who were closest to Jesus. They were present at the raising of Jairus his daughter, they were present at the transfiguration and they were present um, close to Jesus in the agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. However in spite of being close to Jesus James the son of Zebedee was martyred when he was killed with the sword by Herod Agrippa I in about AD 44. We read of that in Acts 12. Herod had begun persecuting Christians from AD 41 to appease the Jews and the martyrdom of James in AD 44 is considered to be before the dating of the epistle of James and thus the son of Zebedee could not be the author. And that brings us on to the fourth and final James, James the brother of Jesus, to whom we're introduced in Matthew 13 55 along with Jesus's other brothers Joseph, Simon and Judas and that Judas is the Jude of uh, the book before Revelation. We read in John 7 5 for even his brothers, this is talking about Jesus of course, for even his brothers did not believe in him. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians fifteen seven that the risen Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus, appeared to James This meeting probably had a similar effect on James as did Jesus' appearance to Saul on Saul himself when Saul was on the road to Damascus because we can read in Acts 15 about the Council of Jerusalem and we see that James is the leader of the church there and a spokesman for the Christian church in Jerusalem and issuing decrees to the wider church in Antioch, Syria and Cilicia. So this James, the brother of Jesus, now he also suffered martyrdom, stoned to death at the instigation of the high priest Ananus in AD 62. But this James, the brother of Jesus as I said, the leader of the Jerusalem church, is considered traditionally to be the author of the epistle of James. Now, because of um, James the son of Zebedee being dis- counted or ruled out the author of the epistle um, by reference to martyrdom in AD 44 we need to establish or it would be good if we could establish an acceptable date for the letter. James's brother, James sorry the brother of Jesus was martyred as I said in AD 62 which puts the date range between AD 45 and AD 61 the council of Jerusalem was convened in AD 49 and this is not referred to in the letter of James. It doesn't mean anything particularly, but some believe that that means that um, the letter had, had been written between about AD 40 and AD 50 before the Council of Jerusalem. Otherwise it could have been mentioned in this letter that we're talking about. Others believe the letter was written near AD 60. You have to take your choice, I'm afraid. Um, there's no point being dogmatic about it. But the evidence um, in favour of an earlier date is probably stronger than the later date. We can sort of bring that in to one of the biggest controversial aspects that we're going to turn to now and that's the passage about faith and works and um, if the letter was earlier then um, James wouldn't have heard or read about Paul's um, take on um, faith and works. Anyway, let's turn to that um, controversial section which is James 2, 14 to 26, faith and works we're going to look at now. This is only a brief um, summary really, I expect um, Tom could probably talk about four weeks on this subject, but I've got four points. (laughs) Anyway, let's see what it says. So chapter 2, 14 to 26. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but do not give them the things which are needed for the body? What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself when he offered Isaac his son on the altar. Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect and the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works, when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now the particular verse that seems to have caused the controversy controversy is verse 24, which if you read it by itself says, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only and people seem to have compared that with what um, Paul wrote in Romans 3.28 probably in isolation again, which says therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from deeds of the law. Now just a bit of history about the controversy, the, probably the, the widest known bit is what, um, sorry about this, for those that might have German descent the well-known German philosopher, um, or theologian I should say, not philosopher, Martin Luther, who lived 1483 to 1546, he had issues with the apparent discrepancy between the doctrines expounded here between James and Paul. And Martin Luther um, printed his own version of the, the New Testament in German and the contents page listed and numbered those scriptures that he approved of and there was a small group at the end without any numbers which he considered secondary this secondary group listen carefully to this comprised James, Jude, Hebrews and Revelation so there you have one man's opinion and he probably did more damage to the book of James than anybody in 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 the later years (laughs) There you go. Now, um, returning to the seeming discrepancy between James and Paul, a few words need to be said here. Um, And this this uh, um, surrounds the date. Now, if James wrote his letter between AD 40 and 50, then he would not have seen Paul's writings about faith to the Romans, which is dated around AD 56 and the Ephesians which is dated around A.D. 60, 61. So James would have been writing on his own back if you like, not having seen anything else about faith and works. Had he seen these writings he may have chosen his own words slightly more carefully and elaborated his own doctrine a bit more. However, that's only um, supposition. Now, secondly in the passage we've just read about faith and works James uses a quote in verse 23, verse 23, yeah, which comes from Genesis 15:6. If you want to look at that verse if you've still got your fingers in, fingers in that um, passage, chapter two it was. So verse 23, he says, "Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness." This event that he's quoting was many years before Isaac was offered up to God by Abraham." Abraham had already displayed his faith and been declared righteous before God because he had believed God's promise. So Abraham had faith. In taking action and later on offering Isaac to God, Abraham was confirming his faith by his works. Okay? So I don't think there's a difference there between faith and works. Thirdly, when we look at James's letter carefully, we see, for example, that he asserts that salvation is a gracious gift from God. We can see this in chapter one, turn to this, chapter one, verses 17 and 18. This is important also, chapter one, 17 and 18, he says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So here we are as believers we're the first evidence of God's new creation, that is to come and God has done this of his own will. Now as I say I hope we all agree that we do good works which God prepared beforehand, Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, because we've already received our salvation And we want to obey and serve the Lord Jesus. Now, um, another one which is um, for your own sort of discernment, really. Fourthly, this is the fourth point. Paul and James were speaking to slightly different people types, um, groups of people. Paul was dealing with those who believed that their works under the law of Moses would save them. And they had rejected some of them, I'm not saying all of them. They had rejected the Gospel message. James was dealing with those who depended on a sole profession of faith as sufficient to justify them. They did not accept that, the good, that good works were the fruit of faith. So there's slightly different people groups in those two situations that we read. But there's, as far as I can see, as far as I believe, there's really no contradiction between James and Paul. They're saying the same thing in different ways. I think they're complementary to each other and supportive of each other. Okay, now I'm coming to the end. My aim and prayer for today was that by giving you an overview of this short letter of James, like me you'd get excited at just how much you can learn from the scripture um, if we'd only give it our time. I mean you can read the whole book of James in probably 20 minutes if that, Um, but if you look at the, the depth of the thing, things that you can get out of it, with the Holy Spirit's um, guidance, of course. Um, there's so much in there. There are several different ways in which we can approach the study of the actual text. As I mentioned in my overview, we can identify all the words and themes that we know from the Sermon on the Mount and the Gospels, and we can compare cross-references. We can search the letter for references to doctrines, such as of God, of Jesus Christ, of the Holy Spirit, of sin, suffering, scripture, salvation, the last times, they're all in there, all these subjects. Another approach would be to look at a multitude of the themes that are covered by James and he covers them albeit briefly and we can search the scriptures for further enlightenment on those themes. Some of the themes mentioned are perseverance in suffering, blame and temptation, Responding to God's word, which is very important, and we have to deal with that one, of course. Impartiality, faith and works, which we've looked at briefly today. Controlling the tongue, again, Tom mentioned that this morning. Wisdom, worldly indulgence, prayer. Now, as I believe that God is sovereign, God willing, I will give at least one talk on the actual text of the letter. Although, as yet, I don't know how I will approach that task. Um, But in the meantime, in conclusion today, I ask that you all study this in your own time. It's a very practical thing um, and act out, and I speak to myself, act out in our own lives uh, the instruction that James writes about living a God-fearing and God-honoring life. Let's pray. Father, once again, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that um, we have this valuable book and we pray that you would forgive us, Lord, for the times when we've not treated it as we should, when we've um, not spent the time that we should spend looking at your word and trying to find out more about you and about what you want for our lives, Lord. We're here for a purpose and we know that we're called to serve you, Lord. So we do pray that you would Open the scriptures to us, Lord. We do pray that um, we would be doers of your word and that we would bring you all the glory for your name. And uh, we pray, Lord, that uh, you would be with us as a body, not just as individuals, and help us, Lord, um, to bring that glory to your name and your reputation. We ask it in his name. Amen.